Hey, you guys. Alrighty, then. We are ready. This is a big episode. I was not really planning this episode this early in the game, but bear with me on the sound. I am fully dedicated to it, and it's not the best sound quality, but if you guys can make it through, I promise there's some good information in there. I love you. I love you. See you on the other side. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. All right, you guys, tonight's episode is going in a very different direction than I was anticipating it going in before today. Um, But so I went home on my lunch break and I wasn't feeling good. It's lady week, so I needed to get a few supplies. And I wasn't really feeling super emotional, but I was feeling like, like my belly was just hurting a lot. Normal, like day one lady week stuff. But I left my house after like eating lunch and hanging out with my brother for a quick minute. And I voice record on my way back to work in the car. And so I am like cruising and I get to work and I'm like, I have like 15 minutes till I have to go inside. I'm going to do like a five minute meditation. And so I do a five minute meditation called uh, five minutes of self-compassion on the insight timer, the free guided meditation app that I use. And so I start it and I don't even get all the way through it. And I start hysterically crying, hysterically. And so the, I'm going to actually refer to my notes here because I otherwise will go off on a tangent for three hours. So the affirmation in the guided meditation was, may I be kind to myself in this moment? May I give myself the compassion I need? And it was so funny because that was my That was exactly what my Instagram story was this morning. I'm literally just realizing this right now in this moment as I'm saying it to you. And that's not even why I was crying, but I was like thinking about, you know, what am I doing in life right now that I'm not giving myself compassion for other than like starting and procrastinating this podcast effort, um, which is you know, it's a lot of ups and downs. It's a lot of learning and like doing something that is hard. I remember hearing in a podcast by, uh, I think it's Lewis Howes, uh, the School of Greatness, many months ago on a run, he was talking about, or his guest was talking about how, you know, it's important that we see people do things that are hard because it makes us want to do things that were that are hard. And so like as when you see other people like learning an instrument, you're like, oh, I got to learn an instrument. And when we see people like reading, it like kind of makes you like want to be better. It also like makes you want to compare yourself. But I think for the most part, it like inspires you. And I believe the guest in the episode was talking about why it's important to like do hard things as a parent, because it's important that your kids see that you do hard things and that you have like patience with yourself. But so it just like struck me during this meditation that one of the things that I wasn't being compassionate about towards myself was that it was like kind of requiring a little bit of smoking weed, like spark my creative mind. 
Um, and so in the class a couple of weeks ago, they asked that you refrain or abstain from any drugs and alcohol. They also asked that you, you know, don't take any supplements or vitamins that aren't specifically prescribed by a doctor. And so after that class for a whole week, I was like stone cold sober a whole week. But my story is basically that I am very sensitive to drugs and alcohol. And so I very much like drugs and alcohol because I only have to consume a very tiny amount for them to be effective on me. And so, you know, I could smoke like a tiny hit of weed and be very happy for like a week or two, honestly. And so this episode is really going to be, I guess, my stance on Pretty much like how it's freaking bullshit that weed is becoming okay and acceptable, like on the West Coast, and we're just like light years behind on the East Coast. And like when I was in Europe last year, like I told you, I came home and I was like, damn, America is like unhappy as shit. Like we're like depressed and like chronically ill. And I'm not saying that that isn't happening all over the world because I found that you know, it really is just like, I hate to simplify it quite generally, but like, I think that there's just people that are like, wholehearted is how Brene Brown puts it. But like, there are wholehearted people who show gratitude, and who love deeply and fully and like are good communicators and secure. And And also with being a good communicator, that also means that they are also self-expressed. So I think that those are the two people is wholehearted and self-expressed and not. And that's it. And so I just think that that we can like work on that because I've definitely worked on that effectively in the last uh, year or two, really, really the last year, the last like nine months, even the last month, even, but I'm like on this journey. And I just like, if you're interested, I think that I can help like give you some guidance and support as you delve in on your journey. But so for me, I was in Italy and I get back and I realize how the fuck unhappy people are. And I had been for three months deriving my energy from like traveling And then also like also taking really good care of myself, like because it wasn't, you know, I was there for three months, so it wasn't vacation. I had to, you know, also like eat healthy and exercise and make sure I got like good enough sleep and stuff like that. It wasn't just like party, 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 party all day, party all night. If you want to party, let's party all right now. So a couple of points on that. The first is that like, I really considered just moving back to Europe and never living in America again, like coming back, like kind of intermittently. Cause I was like, wow, I love everything about being somewhere else. Like the accents are fantastic and people are all very like different and diverse. And it seems like they're just more like self-expressed and So when I came back the second time, I recognized that I actually have the capacity to make change in my world and I don't have to just accept that we're depressed here and I can try and make a difference. So that's where I really landed. And I realized that I go through darknesses too, but I'm not just like generally depressed. 
And so uh, part of that, I think, is because, okay, I'm going to get to the back to the affirmations and then we'll get back to this because I don't want to lose you, even though that's what you want to hear. So may I be kind to myself in this moment? May I give myself the compassion I need? And the two lines before that were, I'm having a hard time right now. Everyone feels this way sometimes. And that's where I really started to lose it. So I realized that my thing that I'm not giving myself compassion for is that sometimes I need to, I want to self-medicate. Sometimes I want to do drugs or drink or sleep or exercise. And sometimes I don't want to work on the podcast, but we all really have our vices and we all have our worse than vices are addictions. And I think that we all are addicted to something, whether it's our cell phone or food or, or sex or weed or alcohol. I don't know if I said that already. Um, but I think that to just discount drugs because they are not something that's familiar to you is just super close-minded. So when I was in Kuwait, it was, I think we had been like stone cold sober for probably four or five months already at this point. And I heard on a Joe Rogan episode, this guy was a guest and he was like a recovered opiate addict. And so he had weaned off of the opiates using Kratom. And so Kratom is legal in the United States, but it's illegal in like six states. And so I just didn't ask anybody if this is legal because I read on the internet that it was legal in Kuwait and that it was legal in most of the U.S. And I ordered some to my unit in Kuwait and you know, I read enough about it that if anybody asked me what it was, that I would be able to give them, you know, an educated answer. It's related to the coffee. It's in the coffee family and it just gives you like a mood boost. But really it was like a little bit like kind of a high when you're like sober for so long. So, <laughs> so I order it and I only order like one bag because I don't know if it's bullshit. And because I am like saving every penny I make because I'm being a serious cheapo and I want to buy a house when I'm done with the deployment, which you may know, I do not own a house. I live with my parents currently. Here we are. But I got to travel Europe for six months in the last year for far less than the cost of a house and really awesome memories. I don't want to say far better because if your path is buying a house, then holla good job saving your money but yeah so anyway so I only bought one little bag of kratom so I was like totally rationing like a serious like drug addict but I was doing it and I was like real happy so um it like comes in a powder and you put the powder into a cup and then you like pour a little bit of liquid in and then you stir it into a paste and then you pour a little more liquid into it and like stir it up again and then a little bit more and then you stir it all the way up so that it like is mostly dissolved and like I think people had shakers but it like didn't work in shakers like you literally had to turn it into a paste first like I'm sure like a blender would have worked but we didn't have that so we made do and by we I mean I it was only me I am not implicating anybody else in this drug ring but again it was totally legal so so that was the drug of choice and then 
Kuwait was a dry country, so we also weren't able to drink. And that's usually a big um, money pit for soldiers when they're deployed. They go to the bar because they're depressed and they spend all their money or they're, you know, unhappy in their relationship at home. And so they go to the bar and spend all their money because they're depressed or maybe they're up to worse things, but you can do that with or without alcohol. So I'm having like the time of my life on my deployment, to be quite honest. We had Sundays off. So we like built a patio and a barbecue and we barbecued every Saturday night. On Sundays, we would go to the pool and then go to brunch or I'm sorry, brunch and then the pool. Yeah. On base. And we worked Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. with an hour plus lunch break every day. And we were working out five days a week minimum, twice a day, at least twice a week. Saturdays, we worked a half day until noon. That was like less than I'd ever worked. I always worked weekends. I always worked freaking so many hours. So I, I continued to work for my company back home. I was uh, working at a kid's gym. I was the assistant director at a kid's gym outside of Boston. And I freaking loved it. I love children. I love singing. You may have noticed. And it was a gym, so I was like exercising there all the time. So I asked them before I left what I could do to help because I was the AD. And so I knew that, you know, I was an important person there just for like paperwork alone and like marketing and stuff like that. Forget about like my actual presence in the gym, like as an instructor. But it was really because I couldn't only work one job and only have one income. I was so used to working so many jobs or at least two jobs always and working like weekends and stuff and like weird hours. So what I should have said was, can I stay on your payroll? I'm not used to giving myself a break, but it was a deployment. So it did and it didn't feel like a break. I had a great time and I was, I loved everybody that I was surrounded with and we did all like the socializing and we did all of the exercising and the sleeping right and, you know, staying engaged in the mission and staying, you know, trying to stay in good relationships with our people back home. I, you know, I'm speaking for all of us, but I, at least for me, and I still wanted fucking drugs and I still wanted, you know, something to be a little bit better. Um, and so it's a, a dry country. So we didn't have alcohol there, no bars. So we got creative and I ordered some Kratom and one guy's wife sent us a rum cake that was like, the cake was drowning in the rum. Another person got a mouthwash bottle full of alcohol that actually got confiscated. We didn't actually consume that. And then finally, we actually made prison hooch. So that is my favorite story. We got, you know, it's a free, like, I wanted to say catering hall. It's not a catering hall. It's a chow hall, which is like a big old like school cafeteria, you know, food bars for everything. So like a deli bar and maybe like a specialty bar and a salad bar and everything is serve yourself and eat as much as you freaking want. And so we would always take the O'Douls, the non-alcoholic beers to drink at our Saturday night barbecues. And we would take a bunch of fruit juices. And it wasn't weird because everybody was like packing their, you know, deep pockets full of like fruit and snacks and drinks and whatever. It was like very normal. So we would take fruit juices every single day. And eventually we got one of our friends who worked in the kitchen to get us yeast. And then we got condoms and rubber gloves from the nurse. 
Um, and we got hair ties from care packages that were sent to the soldiers and we made prison hooch in bottles and we captured the carbonation in the gloves and the condoms. And we got a little bit drunk off of this because we had been fucking sober for nine months. And there was one other time that we drank, but I can't express that. Um, so if you want to hear that story, like... Maybe I'll tell it in the far, far future, but I can't tell it this year because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Also, I had to sign like a non-disclosure agreement on that one. But so after an entire year of sobriety, I came home and I felt like I was super depressed because I was no longer with my buddies, my 24-7 buddies that I'd had for the last year. And I wanted drugs to deal with my problems where when I was in Kuwait, I wanted drugs and alcohol to give me a little boost. I wasn't necessarily trying to like numb out. And so I think that that's where the difference is in drug use. And so I think that that's what I like came to this conclusion today in my meditation was because after the class, they asked me or um, during Before the class that I took last month, they asked you to show up totally sober and to not drink all weekend and do or do drugs. I already told you this. But so I really feel like the reason for that is because when you're numbing, you can't really fully acknowledge what's going on in like the depths of you. So when you're thinking about doing drugs, I think that that's like a big part of the problem why we're in this like fucking drug war is because people do drugs to numb out and to not face the reality. And so I'm going to quote Lauren Hill here. Shout out to BJ. How are you going to win if you ain't right within? And so I'm going to substitute a couple of words here, but how are you going to do drugs if you ain't right within? And I really mean that. Like if you are using drugs recklessly and irresponsibly and like just to numb the pain of your life, then yeah, the drugs are going to cause problems in your life because you're, you have problems in your life that you're not addressing. But if you choose to use drugs the way that they were meant to be used, I think the way that, you know, like naturally occurring drugs have been in humanity. We have known about them since the beginning of time, basically. And we have created these like horrible, horrible, like synthetic drugs that like ruin people's lives and like kill them. But like weed has been in human hands for at least hundreds of years, but I know it's more than that. But I actually just read a statistic on this because I wanted to say it here. And I was like, there's no fucking way that that's true. But literally in 2014, a German scientist found that there was only one person in human history, in recorded human history, that has died of cannabis intake. So fucking take that drug war. Like, so when I say... I want drug freedom. I mean that I want that the way that I want food freedom. So I want to be able to like eat healthy most of the time. And when I feel like eating something unhealthy, I want to like listen to my body. And like, if my, if I start to feel sick when I'm looking at a piece of chocolate and I fucking swear to God that that happens because I definitely have like an adverse reaction to chocolate. And then also last year when I was in Belgium, I overdid it so much with Belgium beer and Belgium waffles and Belgium chocolate. Obviously it was so freaking good. 
I got to a point where if I walked outside of a Belgium chocolate shop, I got physically ill. And so now like sometimes the smell or the sight of chocolate will make me sick and sometimes it doesn't. And so I want the ability to say, this is my food freedom chocolate item of the day, week, month, year, but I just want to like listen to my body on it. I think it should be the same about drugs, but instead we have these like negative stigmas about like, you know, what drugs do to us and how they ruin lives. And you think about people that you know that are like drug addicts or, and, or like have died from them. But I think that we're just not doing them responsibly. And it was really frustrating for me to come home from Europe where people mostly weren't doing drugs, but it was also just like so much more, it seemed so much more self-expressed, like people were able to do what they wanted. So one of the families from uh, my au pair experience, so this, I au paired both times that I was living in Italy. So last year I was there for one month and this year I was there for three months. And as an au pair, it like literally translates to of the family. And so you're supposed to be like treated like a big sister, but you you are living with the family and mainly your purpose is to teach the kids English. And one of the other au pair families, I was friends with the au pair from the family. I'm hoping to have actually both of them here um, because I met both au pairs, uh, a previous one and a current one. But one of the families, the dad like had a huge jar of weed in his in his home. And he didn't really smoke it a lot, but like some of his friends did. And there were people that we met there that smoked. And actually the city of Bologna is like known for their cannabis. And so I smoked there, but it's just so interesting that like, you know, you, we all get to choose our vices and smoking cigarettes is totally fine. And drinking alcohol is totally acceptable, but pot that literally one person in the history of humankind has died from, we're not fucking allowed to do because it makes you lazy or it makes you have a big appetite. Like this doesn't make any sense. And why are we not talking about it? Like, I know people are talking about it. I don't want to make it my mission at all. Uh, kind of I do. I kind of do want to make this my mission. Like, this is part of my mission. Because I think that people generally like me and generally wouldn't believe if I told them that I have been smoking weed since I was 15. And I actually have been smoking weed since I was 14. And I have dabbled with a plethora of other drugs. My first boyfriend was a drug dealer, and so I was exposed to a lot of drugs really early. And what that did for me was I got to college, and I had already tried all of these things pretty much, not all of them, but like a bunch of them. And so I wasn't really afraid when I got to college to try drugs. It was just kind of like, oh, cool, like this is even safer because I can just crash here at my friend's house. I don't have to like sneak home or anything. And I'm definitely not like condoning drug use to, oh my God, hopefully no, like 16 to 25 year olds are listening to this. But if you are 16 to 25, the moral of what I'm getting at is if you are, if you're not right within, if you are using drugs to mask problems in your life, I promise you, if you're under 25, you're using drugs to mask problems in your life. But I think that if you're addressing the darknesses that are actually happening, and if you're using drugs to heighten the experience that you're having in life overall, I think that we should have the fucking ability to say, yeah, I smoke pot. Yeah, I do cocaine. Yeah, I do mushrooms. I've done ecstasy. Like, why are we not allowed to talk about this, but we're allowed to, like, 
black out every freaking weekend and, you know, spend hundreds of dollars at the bar. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And then like Uber home and, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't make any sense. I just don't understand to me why it's so harshly judged and it's so hard to talk about. So I think that was what came through to me in my meditation today. Um, So the thing that I need to give myself compassion for is that when I got home from my deployment, I know the story is bouncing around a lot. I hope you guys get used to that. When I got home from Kuwait, I realized that I had been sober for so long and I really wanted to get fucked up, like real fucked up, not fucking prison hooch fucked up, not fucking bullshit kratom fucked up, like those stories are like pathetic in comparison to real drugs, but they felt very scary and very real, like scary and that like we're going to get in so much trouble. I'm sorry, I'm going to get in so much trouble if I get caught by myself getting fucked up. Um, there's a joke in there. I hope you guys know. So I get back. I realize that I'm depressed because I'm away from my friends. These guys and girls have been my brothers and sisters for a whole year. And now I'm home for three weeks with my then boyfriend. And I realize that I'm like severely, severely spiraling into a darkness and I need to see professional help like ASAP. So I find a therapist. I would say that we didn't really jive nearly as well as my first therapist when I was in college, but I stuck with her because I honestly couldn't handle like looking around anymore. I just needed to like get in and talk to somebody. And when I think about like what I was saying about her during, I was like, I don't really feel like we're driving. And like, I don't know if I'm like getting the tools that I need to from her, but I still got everything that I needed to out of it. So this is my like, this is like my perception. My memory was that it like, didn't feel like it was super effective therapy. But by the time I left, like a rough almost exactly one year later, actually, I had left my boyfriend and I left my job. And so obviously, like from somewhere, strength came. Those were some of my edge of fear moments, you know, leaving the relationship five years in and leaving uh, the job the same amount of time five years in. But so, so anyway, so I am home for three weeks. I realize I'm severely depressed and I've already been smoking weed like almost every single day. And so I realize that I'm like dealing with my problems by numbing them out and covering them up. And I realized that the weed that before the deployment really like lifted me up was just making me like really in my own head. My social anxiety was like at an all time high. And then I just like wanted to do other drugs to kind of like even out. And I was it was just, it was just a lot. It was a a lot of real changes. Um, and you know, going from the army work every day to the civilian work every day and things as simple as having to get dressed every day, pick out an outfit every day. I remember that getting to a point where it was like really hard. I was like dreading having to go to events because I didn't know what to wear. So that like PTSD, even from a very safe deployment, is like totally real. So the way that I was using drugs that summer when I got home from Kuwait was fairly freely, but it was also paired with like therapy. And so, yeah, this is really the important notes on today's uh, drug freedom. Um, I basically want 
to be able to trust my body when I say like, oh, I want to do mushrooms because there's a shit ton of scientific evidence regarding that this is a mind enhancing drug and that there's a chance that I could cure my depression for six months by taking, you know, one small serving of mushrooms. And like, that's real. I will try to find that podcast that I found that in and uh, reference it here in the show notes. You know, it's possible that I hate dancing and I am not letting love into my life and maybe I need um, to do ecstasy. And, you know, maybe my creative mind is thwarted by my fear of society. And so maybe like a hit of weed once a week will do me some good. And I think that that's what drug freedom is. Um, And don't worry, the irony of this is not lost on me being a veteran. But I think that if we were to just look at the way that drugs are used differently, more medicinally and more purposefully, I think that there's a lot of potential for that being a way to be happier as long as you're still doing the inner work. I mean, that's like the biggest part for me is like, If you're doing the other stuff, if you're working on yourself in other ways, then I think that drugs can be like an effective tool. They honestly, I mean, weed helps me to come up with better content. I, not that I really am writing jokes here. I kind of am trying to write jokes here and then I'm never actually using them in the recording. I'm getting like super, not distracted, but like scared. And so I totally go off the cuff every time and I'm never going by the notes, but like my jokes are literally funnier. Um, Actually, I was not going to use this example. This is unrehearsed, but my second boyfriend in college didn't smoke and I did. And so like six months into the relationship, he told me that he didn't like me smoking, even though we literally smoked together on our first quote date. It was college. So like not really dating, like hanging out at each other's places. But I didn't know how to express myself fully. So I told him I would quit smoking because love. And I basically hid it for many months, maybe even like a year or two. And since I was going to school for anthropology and I was studying uh, psychology statistics too at the time, which I really hated, I was doing, I was kind of doing a lot of qualitative research because I was also writing my senior thesis for, and I was actually writing two senior theses for my anthropology major. And so I was like living and dying in the library. I was working at a Victoria's Secret out there in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, um, where I had transferred from the mall on Long Island that I had worked at um, when I would come home in the summers. Um, Shout out to VS Store 120. And I was bartending and I was playing lacrosse and I was writing my two senior theses. So started I decided to start keeping track of whether I did or didn't smoke the night before or the day of a lacrosse game and I don't remember exactly what the stats were I can honestly probably find them I like have all of my notes still my like random like calendars that I wrote on um, and agenda books in college but I kept track of 
whether or not I smoked the night before a game or the day of the game and like scrimmages and stuff and how many goals I would score. And obviously that's not like an exact science because if one team was better than another, you know, that would obviously impact like how many goals I scored, but I was the lead scorer on the team. And so humble brag, it's okay to brag though. I'm not playing small. But so I was scoring most games. So this seemed like a good way to and like a measurable way to like see what my my impact of drugs was. And one of my theses that I was writing was the impact of of opportunity in sports and how like your background and your upbringing affects what sports you're going to play and like the level that you will reach. And so I don't know how that was like relevant, but it just like sparked me like I'm going to like study this and see you know, how this impacts it. And long story long, I don't remember exactly what the research stated, but I fucking remember the outcome because it was paramount to my argument with my then boyfriend. So obviously it doesn't matter at all anymore, but I learned with absolute certainty, I believed that I scored just as many, if not more goals in every game that I smoked the night before or the morning of. And me that was like pretty in line exactly with what I thought that the outcome was going to be which makes it sound like maybe there was a confirmation bias which maybe there was but I felt like I played better yeah there was definitely a confirmation bias but whatever this is my story and I'm sticking to it and there's a lot of fucking scientific evidence that is way more scientific than my experiment on why weed is not detrimental and why it's also not a performance drug. But what it did was it made me loosen up. And I had had several serious hamstring and quad and SI band injuries over the years. And so loosening up was really important for me in my game. Because if I was super tight and super nervous about the game, then it didn't matter how much fucking ice, heat, and stim I got before the game, I needed to loosen up. And so I would smoke the night before. Sometimes I would smoke the morning of, and I would be loose as fuck and score as fuck and scoring lots. Um, and so, yeah, I never really wanted to hide it. Um, and then it was after college that I joined the military and then I kind of had to hide it. So this is actually a funny story. Um, I basically decided to, these are all my edge of fear moments. And this is like, I mean, honestly, these are like the, these are not the examples that I'm like telling everybody. These, I don't really tell everybody. So it's funny that I'm telling you guys now on like episode six. So I decided to join the army basically because I was going into my last semester and I knew that with a degree like anthropology, I was going to need to go to like graduate school or like get my doctorate or at least a master's or something, but it was going to require more schooling. And because of a semester that I had to take off because of my bank that I had a student loan going through, going under, and then the school demanding that I pay them directly um, and not out of a loan, um, or I guess really not demanding. I don't want to like fully blame them because I was 21 and didn't know shit about shit. And so they probably explained it to me fairly clearly. And I signed my life away like so many you know, 17 to 20-something-year-olds do for student loans and for a degree that I joke and say that I never used it, but I really realized this year that I absolutely have totally always used my degree. So no regrets. 
but fuck you guys, um, student loans and Sally Mae, you bastards. But so, so anyway, I was like stuck between a rock and a hard place. I love my expressions. So if you guys ever hear me saying an expression wrong, please correct me because I always want to know the correct expression. So I literally Google who will pay for my graduate degree and the army is the first thing that comes up. And so it's a Sunday night and I start the application (laughs) and I don't finish it because I get, so part of, um, the, what I believe the edge of fear moment is, is it's just that like snap moment of courage where you're like, I can do this. And it's just like existing on that plane for a minute for long enough to like do it, to like go through with it. It's not like a whole like six month period usually. Like we fall back into fear like pretty consistently. But so my edge of fear moment in, you know, joining the military was that Sunday night being like, yeah, fuck it. Let me just do it. I didn't really think that like filling out an application was really going to be like the end all be all. Like I'm actually going to do this. I don't think that I really thought that at all when I was doing it. But why was I doing it? You know, if not like if I wasn't even subconsciously considering it. So Monday morning, they call me. I'm not even done with the application. And I get a phone call from the United States Army um, asking me to come in for an interview and asking why I didn't finish the application and how much, how seriously I was thinking about this. And I was like, yeah, not really much, but I'll like come in for an interview. And so I went in for the interview. The recruiters obviously loved me because I'm you know, a cute college girl. Um, and they just want their numbers up. So they don't really fucking care what you look like or who you are to be quite frank. Um, but my story was they loved me. Um, and I mean, and they probably did. I was super cute then, but they gave me, Oh God, they gave me a couple of at home drug tests because I told them that I maybe will do this, but I definitely can't pass a drug test right now. So they were like, okay, here's a few drug tests. When you can pass two in a row, come back. And so I was like, okay, I've got homecoming coming up. So I'm definitely going to like smoke for that. I have this coming up. I have this coming up, this coming up, but I will stop smoking by this time. And so then I ended up doing really the same thing for that the end of that story, um, where I continued to do drugs. And then I quit like kind of at the very exact last minute, like I wanted to stop smoking by like September 25th, say, and I needed, and I ended up stopping on like September 30th. So it ended up being the same thing for the whole time that I was in the army all like six years. I basically would smoke for four or five days. And I would then for the rest of the month, so I had four or five days within two weeks to smoke. So then I had somewhere between two and three weeks for the rest of the month to get it out of my system. And so the way that I beat the system was by drinking a shit ton of water, keeping my body fat percentage low by generally staying in good shape. So people thought that, you know, I was in good shape because I was in the army. No, I was in good shape because I decided that I wanted to still smoke if I was going to stay in the army. And so I did. So I would stay in really good shape. I would drink a ton of water. And then after um, the, you know, usually I would only smoke two or three times in the two weeks, but I could smoke up to five times and still pass a drug test. But I would then 
the last week leading up to my drill weekend, I would do a cleanse where I was like fully plant-based for the entire week. And I would only eat one meat source as protein. I'm sorry, two meat sources as protein, um, like two meals. Usually I would do like a chicken and a fish. Um, and it's the shit worked for six years. So I'm not saying that I think that you should do drugs, but I am saying that I think that we should have the freedom to be able to decide if we're going to do drugs and if they're going to work for us. I think the really the key point I want to drive home here, though, is that it's very important that you are still looking within and you're not just thinking you know, drugs are going to solve my problems. I think that drugs can be used as like a tool to help you stay a little bit happier, but I don't think that they need to be, that they should be in any way used as like a way to avoid your problems or to numb from them at all. I think that we use food and sex and cigarettes and alcohol and drugs all as, and you know, our cell phones and our video games, and we use them all as distractions. And we don't want to really address that there's like deeper problems here. And so if when you see that your, you know, drug use is getting um, expedited or worsening, that there's probably something going on here that you're trying to not face. And I think that when you can control yourself. And I mean that in like a way that like, like discipline is important for a healthy lifestyle. I don't mean that as like control every aspect of your life. I mean that like having a routine and pillars that you live by and values that are important to you. I think that you can set appropriate boundaries for yourself and, and use drugs and alcohol responsibly. That is going to be the end of the story for tonight because I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of things, but I have frankly recorded this three times now and I'm pretty sure the first episode, the first version of this episode was far better, but I really never got to my point. Like I never told any of the stories that I wanted to. So this one's better overall for story's sake, but a little bit less sharing. I'll get to the other points, you guys. I swear to God, I will. All right. I love you. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you could hear. I tried to edit the audio as much as I could. I did it in a wide open room. So not my brightest decision, but I really needed to just record because it came to me. And if I don't record while it's fresh, then it doesn't make any sense. So shout out to all my audio freaks who stuck with me the whole time. I appreciate you. Everybody else, I promise I am getting better. This was a fluke. I love you. I love you. Thanks for staying with me. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.